if we speak about healing or recovery, we can look at it like a domino chain, right? You put up these domino bricks nicely. And of course, um, the first part, if, if that kind of like flips over, the whole kind of like chain flips over. And the first part for me, the first domino kind of like brick is sleep. Even today, like sleep is the most important kind of like really like brick in this kind of like domino chain for me. This awareness by the presence in my body just showed me, hey, that doesn't feel, feel good or that's not where I want to go. That's not what I want to accept, right? Because it also depends on your other behavior patterns. Saying yes to, to, to many things and not saying no. And by that really overstepping uh, healthy limits, that's really painful. So like I realized better and earlier and easier when something didn't feel good for me. It's very important to see that this people pleaser in you mostly starts because you want to be loved. You want to be part of something, right? Part of a team, part of a group, um, part of a family, whatever it is, right? And that's the starting point. I met Eva during the Social Impact Award Community Lab and I loved the person I discovered there. I loved the empathy with which she was guiding an international community. Having the chance to hear about her life makes me even more excited about having her as a guest to this podcast. She has a history of anorexia and depression, which not only did she manage to overcome, but now she is helping others thrive in their own path. Eva Gruber is an expert for positive thinking, mental health, mental fitness, and habit change. She supports entrepreneurs, managers, and teams who have too many hats on or have too much on their plate. As a coach, trainer, consultant, and lecturer, Eva improves their well-being, relationships, and peak performance. How? By unmasking their negative mind chatter, mental self-sabotage, or other unhealthy habits, and by shifting that into positive thinking, healthy habits, and supporting routines. She is specialized in scanner personalities. What is that, you might wonder? A scanner personality is someone who tends to have too many interests, too many projects. They have too many jobs and often feel restless, frustrated, and may feel like they're not an expert in anything. What she sees, though, is that there is great potential and great needed qualities for innovation and leadership that can be discovered and used wisely in such personalities. She believes that by training good habits, we establish our mental fitness, in supportive behavior. By doing so, we end up feeling happier and better in our body. We live healthier relationships with our teams, clients, and family, and improve peak performance because we have a clear head, we can focus, especially when feeling stressed, angry, or insecure. I'm super excited about the conversation today, and I welcome you, Eva Gruber. Hello everyone, welcome back and welcome Eva. I am so, so grateful and so happy to have you here today. And you have been um, one of the favorite people, one of my favorite people to invite and to have as guests in this podcast. So I do feel really honored for that right now in this moment. And um, Thanks, <laughs> before we start our conversation, which uh, I'm really excited about, I just... Um, like for people to hear who is Eva behind um, all the roles and all the amazing um, mission that uh, that you're trying to um, put out there and um, and to bring into the world. Who is Eva behind all the roles? <laughs> <laughs> Eva is a quite curious kid, I'd say. Hmm. I think you will listen or we will talk about that a bit later about some of my stories that my life has written with me. 
And due to the stories, I feel I'm still the kid I once was, and I want to live up to this child in me. Um, so I'm quite curious about life, um, also like when I'm outside my roles. At the same time, I'm in love. I'm in love with my fiance. I am <laughs> um, so happy to to be with him. Um, I'm in the state of also like starting a family, so which is really great. And also like say big, um, something where the inner child and the future mm. child together and play with each other, hopefully in the future. So that's me partly behind the scenes. Um, and you can ask anything <laughs> along here and right now and from here. So I'm super, super open. I'm happy to to go deeper. I'm super happy that you share that. And uh, I do wish all the best for your family and future family. And um, that is behind the scenes. But in front of the scenes, you are working as a coach. You're working with entrepreneurs and you're in the business and in the mission of helping people. Um, get in touch with their potential and live a more luminous life, as we say here on the Bright Living Podcast. And I do believe that uh, every coach has a life story that brought them to understand better um, human struggle. And uh, from what we spoke, I know that you understand very well human struggle. So uh, I'd really love for you to take us all through your life story a bit and what was a pivotal moment that led you to to who you are today and what you do today? Yeah, it's a big question, <laughs> and I try to be a bit, let's say, um, kind of like concise but still go deep. Um, as you said, uh, life writes its stories with us, and it's not one story; it's a couple of stories that we write. And I always feel we navigate through life um, as the stories are written. Um, I think the biggest and first story that I had in my life was at my age of six. So at the age of six and being a six-year-old girl, um, my grandmother um, committed suicide. Um, so she really like took her life um, without us knowing why. So like until today, we don't understand or I don't understand why she actually left us. There's assumptions, of course, but um, as you don't know, um, this is actually causing not only the big pain in your heart, uh, it's just a, causing kind of like a, a big pain or even a gap uh, in your kind of like belief system or something like that. So you're not knowing. And we know like how important knowing is um, when it comes to well-being and mindfulness, like a certain kind of like intuitive knowing as well as some rational knowing. Right. So the first story that life actually wrote with me was um, that my grandmother just just decided to to leave our shared life. And at some later stage, um, this incident actually, of course, it had its, its impact, right? Its deep impact on, on me, my sister, my mother, um, most like others. But on me, um, the, the bigger impact after that was in my early teenage years, I started to to become anorexic um, because I was not able to digest, obviously, what's happening, not just with me, but especially to my family. And this kind of, like, as you know, this kind of grief is causing quite some pain. And at this time, it was uh, in the late 80s, uh, the early 90s, 90s per se, um, speaking about suicide, uh, even having that in your family, that was quite a taboo. Um, also like by society it it wasn't really like picked up as yes you have grief yes you're in pain what do you need there was nothing about that 
and even my family, no one got support. And at the age of um, 13, 14, I started to eat less and less because I wanted to be less and less visible. I wanted to be less a burden to others. Um, and as you see already here, certain kind of like belief system, like negative thoughts, like I cannot be a burden to someone because there's so much like grief and like pain and happiness in my family already. These beliefs started to grow there already, and they started to to, to, to come into my life early, early, uh, earlier on at the age of six or something. Earlier on at the age of six, I thought, I am now responsible. I need to act responsible. Um, I need to support my family. Um, I cannot be a burden to them, right? So I need to be responsible and pick up whatever is there to be picked up, right? Um, that actually then came to this um, anorexia. And then out of that, you can you can imagine your body's exhausted, right? It's really drained. I was in hospital for a long time. I was really like at the edge. I was like dying myself because mm -hmm. I was really in a critical condition. And that leads to some uh, depression, mm -hmm. some mm -hmm. physical emptiness um, due to overwhelm and exhaustion and some mental kind of like emptiness and exhaustion. So depression was the next stage there. Um, I think these three, I think, are like a good start to talk about. A burnout was at the latest stage. Um, burnout uh, among like my first kind of like um, founding um, phase and, and starting and growing a, a venture uh, together with the team. But I think these like maybe three stories or even four stories are a good start to pick up on. Thank you so much for uh, for sharing that. That's very vulnerable. And um, I can only imagine how it must have been like as a six-year-old to have such a loss, such a big loss, and not be able to make sense of it. And um, before seven, from what I know, uh, is actually when our subconscious mind is formed, right? Is built. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So to experience the, something like that before seven and at a, such, a young, such a young age, it must have felt like... Um, you were really helpless and can you can you just describe a bit how it felt like in that moment from yeah. what you can remember of course i can remember quite a lot and i think um what i remembered the most is it was so quiet it was dramatically quiet around me um my mom was quiet she was falling into depression herself um uh, my dad was worried about my mom um my mom became a big migraine um, for more than 10 years so all the family became quiet kind of like retreating um potentially in grief <laughs> that's what i can only assume right and also like due to the circumstance of physical changes like migraine like and we know like how how big and impactful like uh, migraine can be to someone and it's mm -hmm. your well-being um everything became quiet right and this quietness was very impressive for me even until today um i'm i'm feeling better if if things are quiet, right? Because that's what I'm used to, right? Okay. But staying mm -hmm. in quietness and this kind of like retreating kind of like um, setting, I'd say it didn't do as well. Like not me, not anyone else, right? So instead of just um, stepping out and saying like, hey, I need support because I feel this and that, we stayed quiet. So that's what I strongly remember. Um, that's also like leading to other things like just just an example um i'm not good with conflicts i need to have harmony right and if i'm not in harmony with myself and others i can be easily out of balance and that's something i had to work on a lot to say it's okay that things are not quiet it's okay that things get messy it's okay that that that, that right um so yeah 
to wrap it up, quietness is one of them. Let's say the impact I, me- I like remember a lot. Um, this quietness was just woven into my story for a long time. And instead of this quietness, what would you have needed as a kid in those moments? What do you feel would have felt um, nourishing and, um, I don't know, appropriate um, to your needs at that time? Yeah. As you said, um, actually, as you say, needs, it's about needs. And Mm -hmm. my need would have been, in retrospect, um, speaking about how we feel. Right, mm. giving it mm-hmm. a name, uh, maybe even I don't know, writing about it or drawing about it. Right, like how do you how do you feel right now? Just draw a picture, mm. right? Show me, right? That's what, of course, many kids do in therapy, right? Put your okay. emotions, your feelings into a picture and visualize it. Mm. And I would have loved to do that with my family. Just really like sit down with my mother, my dad, my sister. Um, just really put our emotions and our feelings into pictures. And by that, just start um, a certain conversation. And we know that conversations don't have to be done like in, with words. It can also like be with presence, with uh, touch, whatever it is. Um, just with looking at each other. If we would like, like just now into each other's eyes for 20 minutes, we would have a deep conversation without even just saying a, a single word. Right. So that's wow. one thing I would have needed, I think. I feel like what you're saying about is so important to anyone who is going or who has gone through grief, because I feel like it's not uh, so much the loss that we're experiencing. It's not so much the event itself, because that's not something that we can control, but the, our ability to come together, uh, to experience that emotion, which is not bad, there's no good or bad emotion, but the ability to experience it together and to come together in uh, that experience. And this year, actually, uh, my grandmother, too, passed away peacefully uh, without her own will. And it was really, really, really healing for all of us um, that we were able to to be together and to cry and Mm -hmm. to feel the pain and and to say how much we missed her, actually, and uh, to welcome all all those emotions in that space. That was really important. And that's the reason why I feel like I don't obsess about it. I have come to a certain peace around mm. it. And to have that was really important. And especially as a young child, because I get this question a lot also from my clients, how should I um, help my kid get through something difficult, right? So how can I help? How can I be there for my child when they're going through grief or when they lose something be it something very uh, small to us, I don't know, they lose a toy or they Mm. lose um, a parent or they lose a grandparent, right? What can I do to to be there for them and to make this less traumatic? And what you just said uh, outlines just that, that just allow the emotion, just be with the emotion and allow the child to see your own emotion. All right. So thank you so much for uh, for sharing that. Yeah. Um, Maybe one one thing to add here, Emma, because it's important for me. Um, if we look at our emotions, um, grief is a positive emotion. Grief comes from love. Grief mm-hmm. comes because you have lost something, right? As you said, it could be your toy, it could be your pet that dies, mm-hmm. it could be a person, of course, that, that is leaving. It could be due to divorce and just split up of a couple, right? Um, and all that. So grief is a positive emotion because we have loved something that we've lost. And I think we have to shift in our society and our conversations and our beliefs. We have to shift 
that grief is nothing negative, right? That we have to push away, right? And not speak about it by that. Grief is something to invite to the table to speak about in order to feel more connected, feel more present with yourself. And by that, ease up this grief. This, of course, heavy emotions in these times. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much for outlining that. It's very important. And um, obviously, um, you didn't have the the necessary and the the, uh, ideal space to go through grief together with others. Mm. And that showed uh, later in your development, right? And you seem to connect anorexia with um, what happened then. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, I'm many times or I've been many times um, asked to ask like, why did it start or how did it start or what were the reasons why you got anorexic? And I cannot tell you a single reason. I think as as life kind of like writes our stories, I think these kind of like reasons, these factors just just became bigger and bigger and kind of like Mm. um, more and more. And by that, um, I had to step into something, obviously. I think one thing definitely was getting older and facing all the thoughts and these experiences more and more. And I was always the kind of like um, the kid or the youth that was feeling a bit older than the others. I have mm. an elderly sister, and um, whenever I met the, her friends, they say like, "You're older, right?" It's like, no, I'm actually younger, right? So mm. obviously, people perceived me already as acting older, like whatever it, it seems to be seemed to be but what i want to say is um i was stepping always a bit ahead i think um in deep um thought processes um trying to make sense of life and trying to understand it and um having no support meaning like having no parents to talk to you about that having no friends or like elderly friends that actually also like speak to you because they see you kind of like be in pain um that doesn't help either so i was like you know swallowing it down instead of swallowing food and by that nourishing me for sure i was like of course swallowing down any kind of like thoughts negative thoughts and and beliefs or like or like emotions and i think um that's where it started just to swallow 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 and just say hey um i cannot be any burden to anyone else um in any way um even to myself i want to be less i want to be like i want to retreat in some way and mm-hmm. by that get, get rid of pain this happiness um by making myself lighter um, by making myself lighter, I started to feel numb, of course. That's one of the big kind of like feelings uh, when you're like anorexic, you feel numb, you can like shut down any kind of like emotion or feeling about that experience. And you can like come to a like level of zero, um, which is super, super neutral. Uh, and even going into depression at some point, of course, as exhaustion is so big. Does this make mm-hmm. sense to you? It makes a lot of sense. And I do want to acknowledge the um, openness that you're speaking with uh, about that, which was a very hard time in in your life. And that was uh, 15 years, if I remember right. A bit more even, but it started at the age of um, 14, 15, and it definitely went up for 15 years, like up to the age of 30. I can say Mm -hmm. that at the age of 30, um, really having this birthday, (laughs) which is a big birthday for people, I felt like I want to be a woman again, right? Because anorexia also like shuts down or cuts down a lot in your female experience. Um, many young women start to become anorexic because they don't want to grow up. They don't want to see their female body grow, getting shapes, um, getting breasts, whatever it is, right? Mm. Um, this wasn't so strong with me, but only like at the age of 30, I really like had this feeling of I want to 
feel like a woman again. I want to step into womanhood again. Yeah. And when I when I hear um, the story, when I hear your story, and when I look at you now, and when I when I look at how I've been experiencing you <laughs> in the last mm-hmm. um, six months or more, even I cannot help but wonder how how did you get out of that? Because it seems <laughs> you were very down um, mm. for many 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 years, and I. Th- feel like many people who may be in the place that you were many people who might be right now in that place um might experience some sort of hopelessness some sort of mm-hmm. um some sort of permanence to mm-hmm. to their situation right then right and my question would be what shifted uh mm-hmm. and how how did it, things start to shift yeah I need to tell the bigger story here to come to detail in the end. So please bear yeah. with me. Yeah. Um, of course, at some point when I got super anorexic and shifted into a depression on top, um, my parents worried about me. Mm. Even our doctor, like medical doctor, worried in some way. All of them have not been experiencing any of that. It felt felt like to me back then this was really new. This is was not like today many have this like anorexia and all this it's like i don't want to say it's a trend but it's it's mm, mm, yeah we are like more used to having kind of like anorexia and other eating disorders mm-hmm. around mm-hmm. but back then they weren't so, so experienced and um at some point still they put me into therapy like they put a psychologist like in front of me say like um, okay speak to this person right mm-hmm. um that was the starting point of let's say some kind of like um treatments did that help not at all. I couldn't connect to the person. I couldn't really like see myself with a person. Um, I didn't feel safe. I didn't feel emotionally cared of. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't feel I, I make any progress. So there was quite some resistance within me. Um, and I'd say the, the biggest part even was um, I was then in therapy, but as therapy kind of like ended or even like in between during the therapy, my kind of like the people around me, my family, my friends, they didn't know how to cope with me. And I think that's one of the biggest things, the biggest hurdles, like we can get um, some support, we can step into therapy, right? But what's what's then? What's after? What's next to it, right? So we have to have a support system for the support system uh, in order to really like take care of everything, in order also like, to support the family, the loved ones around you to really like know how to take care of you, like or know how to support you. Um, that was a big kind of like, um, like experience with me um, as I came out of therapy, as I came out of hospital I was treated like very like cautiously like nobody really like knew how to treat me even Mm -hmm. I didn't right and I think that's when the really hard part of your coming back you know actually starts um getting out of this first kind of like support and um I can tell about myself that what really really shifted me and helped me is body work uh really starting to work with my body just like getting out of my head getting into my body and that was the true shift. And I, I did, um, I started to, to do more modern dance because I always love to dance. Um, I'm like a freestyler, but still, and I started to take classes to just see my body in the mirror to just, uh, I don't know, wiggle around on the floor to just get into my body, having this sensation, right? That was part number one. And then I stepped more also like into yoga, of course. I did that even before, but not not so, so, so let's say intentionally. And I stepped into some kind of like yoga that helped me to get into my body more. 
And I think the third element here with the body work was definitely something around um, methods like Abby Greenberg and other methods where you really tune into your body and try to feel, of course, what's there and let mm. go, right? Also, like in the moment of feeling, this, in, in the moment of uh, having attention with someone or with yourself, sensing that and letting it go. Um, that was quite an intense kind of like, um, period of my, of my time of my healing, um, mm. going into my body and working with the body and trying to not get out of the head only, but connect these two elements, let them speak and have a dialogue together. Yeah, I feel like body work is such an important uh, tool for healing trauma. And uh, I've experienced that also myself, but also uh, read around it. But it's also a bit controversial, controversial in the way that some people have experienced that going into their body actually reactivates the, the trauma. Mm -hmm. But also um, that may be a step in healing the trauma. How was your experience? How yeah. did you connect uh, to your body? And how was yeah. it in the beginning? How did it evolve? Yeah. If we stay with the last part, the third part about Avi Greenberg and other methods that really like are done in a kind of like therapy setting. Mm -hmm. So you have a support person, right? That is working with you. So they're not doing it on your own. I think that's really important to frame. That was really painful for me. And I did that for about three years. And I remember the first half year, even year, I was crying and crying every end of my sessions. I felt mm. just 10 minutes. I was just, it was just floating out of my eyes. Um, and there was really huge pain in my, in my body parts, especially in my, in my arms, in my hands, in my, in my feet and really like my toes mm. at the, as we know, at the edges of the, of the body, like these old kind of like emotions that are actually really like stored in your body. I really believe that. I think your memories, the negative memories, the hard ones, the tough ones, mm. they're kind of like stored somewhere in your system right and this needs to get out in some way and i really i had this experience um that all of that tried to get out obviously like the endings of your body right which is mm. your of course your fingers and your toes and that's really painful and i think um that's why it's so important to have this support person this kind of like therapist that does the body work with you that you really trust it's a really important factor to say hey i, I want to find the person i really feel comfortable with and i really can trust because that's a really deep process um, and I think that's actually it, um, starting there, uh, loosening up by that, these negative emotions and memories in your body and really shaking them up. And that's painful. And um, that's something you already have to be really not just patient, but really empathetic with yourself, really show loads of self-love and self-care in these times because they're really rocking. <laughs> and yeah, wow, that's that's so, so powerful. I'm just uh, taking in uh, everything you're sharing. And I'm wondering how is it different from working at home by yourself and maybe doing some body work at home because you also started dancing you were mentioning mm. how is that different from working from a therapist and what is the role of the therapist yeah or what what was it for you yeah for me it was really the person that gives me the emotional safe space Mm -hmm. I, I come into this physical space right by coming into this physical space i know we cared for Right. I can just really like lie myself down here and just really like just be and I'm cared for and taken care of. Right. And I can I can I can show who I am. I can, can let everything out. And I did. I was you can imagine one of my sessions ended like me having my my whole mouth like really like opened up like like a shark. I couldn't close my, my open mouth for 15 minutes. It was wow. open like hell. It felt like I want to finally scream and, and share and just not shut down you know i want to really 
open my mouth. I want to tell my opinion. I want to say no if I don't want to do something. I just really want to set limits there. And and for that, you have to have this therapist um, that is creating this emotional safe space, right? That's so I think that's, that's the biggest role of this person. And next to, of course, having beautiful, strong knowledge and, of course, many techniques, how to treat you, right, <laughs> is first step creating the emotional safe space for you. I absolutely agree with that. And uh, that has also been my experience as a client and as a therapist doing mm-hmm. body work with others. And thank you so much for sharing that. This, this makes me curious today, um, in these days, what is your practice when you start to feel, again, some emotions, some heavy emotion gathering up there? What is your body work practice? Yeah. I still do quite some yoga, like three to four times a week. I did, before COVID, I did five to six times, which was really great, I have to say. <laughs> five to six times a week, uh, one and a half hours each in the studio with my favorite teacher. That was really, really strong and great and did me really well in my body. Doing that at the end of the day to really like, to like, you know, wrap up the day, the work day and like shift by that into the evening, into some other like mood and yeah, COVID changed something, but also like my, my days are more busy um, right now because I also shifted some some focus there. So like three to four times is really great. Dancing became less because my Afro my Afro teacher just stopped stopped uh, like teaching. But um, I'd say one element that we haven't talked about yet, um, which is really important for me now to tune into my body and um, shift um, because everything that we experience, um, any negative thought, any negative emotion, any negative feeling like fear or anger or shame or guilt, kind of like some nervousness or some tension in your body, right? Mm. Um, in this very moment, we just have to become aware of it, right? And by becoming aware of it and collect kind of like naming it, can start to intercept it and then shift. So for me in, in life, everything is about labeling it by becoming aware of it, intercepting it by that and shift, right? Mm. And I intensified my um, knowledge and my practice in positive thinking like how can i actually make a challenge or a problem how can i turn that into an opportunity or a gift right mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that everything is shiny whatever pink or super easy <laughs> no it doesn't right but it means that i don't want to go down this kind of like loop i don't want to go down this negative uh, like thought spirals i don't want to just hang in there i want to acknowledge it it's there mm-hmm. and by that i'll learn and i intercept it in the ship and I do that a lot with um, activating senses. So we can do mm-hmm. also like one practice today, um, just really like experience the situation. And then in the situation, it's like, hey, how can I activate the senses? And of course, I have some some different exercises there to use the sense of touch, to use the sense of hearing, of seeing, of even um, smelling sometimes, right? Especially mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. checking your body, like scanning your body. And this helps me a lot because this I can do at any time, it's not like a meditation to have a quiet, kind of like safe space around you. These exercises I do I can be done in a super hectic meeting, in a tense conversation. They especially should be done there to not go down the spiral and this negative thinking. I love how that sounds. And definitely I want, uh, and I'll invite you to guide us through a practice because it makes me really curious. And I do want us to experience that. Uh, but before that, um, I... I just feel like we jumped um, a whole bunch of your story. And I feel like it's important <laughs> to, <laughs> I'd just like to go back a bit and maybe I'm starting to wonder. So 
more than 15 years with anorexia and depression, uh, then three years with body work and uh, dance and uh, working with a, th a therapist. How did the shift start to look for you? What, was the, uh, what were the first signs that you were starting to get better? Yeah, I think the first signs were really like feeling more rested. I think mm. we all know that um, if we speak about healing or recovery, we can look at it like a domino chain, right? You put up these domino bricks nicely. And of course, <laughs> um, the first part, if, if that kind of like flips over, the whole kind of like chain flips over. And the first part for me, the first domino like brick is sleep, kind of like restful, restorative sleep. And mm. I felt I can sleep better, right? And sleep becomes for me more important actually and to, even today like sleep is the most important kind of like really like break in this kind of like domino chain for me if that mm -hmm. break kind of like tips over that's really like that's a bad kind of change um so sleep um definitely just really like more presence um in my body um i said that doesn't this actually doesn't feel or didn't feel quite comfortable um, most of the times but mm -hmm. this awareness by the presence in my body just showed me hey that doesn't feel, feel good or that's not where I want to go that's not what I want to accept right because mm -hmm. it also depends on your other behavior patterns with me I have a strong people pleaser in me um, and mm -hmm. saying yes to, to to many things and not saying no and by that really overstepping uh, healthy limits that's really painful so like I realized better and earlier and easier and something didn't feel good for me right and just Amazing. recognizing that um was a big shift wow. these are one of the two steps i i had and then of course others other followed but that's a definitely the first two that's yeah. super powerful um to realize to be able to realize that something is not good for you and to mm -hmm. be able to acknowledge that yeah yeah that that uh speaks out to you being in touch with yourself and being connected to, to yourself and to your own experience being be it negative or positive and then i'm starting to wonder so if i go even further on your path right so you have this um i feel like saying coming back to yourself you feel mm -hmm. like you've gained yourself back you're connected back to yourself what was the moment or what experience led you to realize that this is what, what you want to do with others as well? This, uh, you want to guide others, you want to help others on their own journey, on their own path. And I love, I just yeah. love how your face is lighting up as I yeah. ask you this question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, I love this question as well. This helps me also to, to go back and see like how it really came upon. I need to say like about 10 years ago, even a bit more, I started to work in a very specific field of behavior change. I've always worked in sustainable topics. Um, how can we use resources, existing resources, uh, with more care and buy that sustainably, right? Mm. But about 10 years ago, I started to work um, on behavior change about a certain topic. I was like stepped into one or two other topics, but I was always doing that on a management level. I was um, the CEO, the CEO of, of the, the companies I worked with or like co-founded. And I felt like, that's beautiful, you know, like being able to to make this change, like with a team, with services. But at some point, um, of course, I had a deeper kind of like self-development journey and I felt like I want to be with people, right? I want to be and work with the people that I actually serve in the end. And I wanted to kick this kind of like management level. I just wanted to go back to the 
core, which is the human, right? And work with this, this, this person, this woman, this, this man, this non-binary, whatever it is, right? Um, and that was for me so important because I think like along as I was like shifting in my personal journey, um, mm-hmm. coming closer and closer and ever closer to myself and to my needs and to my wants and how to, to live up to them. And it's still a journey. To, I'm, I'm, I'm not there yet, uh, <laughs> even myself, right? So, um, I decided I want to go back to the core, which is the human, which is one-on-one settings. I work a lot with, with groups, with teams. I, I train them, I guide them in programs. And that was super important for me um, to decide I go back to the core, I go back to you as human, because that's where the biggest impact can be. Also, like my biggest learnings, um, um, as we know, like what we provide, we want to make sure that this is something impactful and how can I know best, um, if not just really work with you. Does it make sense to answer your question? Yeah, yeah. I was just reflecting on how you don't have to be healed. You don't have to wait to a point where you say, now I'm totally fine. I'm completely healed. And now I can start to support others. So it's always a process. It's it's going on and on and on. And it's not a place where you get and everything is just, wow, okay, I have no work to do now. That We're always, it's layering, right? So we're working. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, our goal in life is not, it's not just to work on ourselves so that we have the opportunity to develop. But as a coach, you develop also while developing others or while while you help develop, develop others. I have many people ask me, um, when do I know if I'm ready to become a coach or when I'm ready to support mm-hmm. others in whatever therapy, uh, yoga teacher or anything? Because I don't feel uh, like I am balanced enough to do that. Mm-hmm. And I love that you come with vulnerability and you say, I wasn't completely um, fine or I didn't wait. It just came as a, as a mission, as a way in which I wanted to serve. So thank you so much for that. And uh, yeah. how has it been going? <laughs> well, maybe one thing before I start to answer that, I think um, if you are a person that has a curious mind and mm-hmm. if you're a person that shows quite some empathy for others, I'd say these two factors, these two ingredients, actually, curiosity and empathy, that's two strong ingredients for becoming some kind of like a support person in the future. Must it be a coach? No. Can it be some some kind of other like consultant? Yes. Right. And I think there's many opportunities how to support others without um, overstepping unhealthy like boundaries, meaning like people pleasing or something like that. And by that, <laughs> losing your own like uh, empathy. Right. Um, I think that's important just for yourself to discover. Do I have this big curiosity about mm. others and do I have this big empathy for others? And I want to combine these two factors and bring that into intersetting, interservice or something like that. And then again, I think um, I also had this question to one of my mentors back then. Hey, which kind of education and qualification should I do? Because I think I'm ready now, right? I had coaching and some kind of form of coaching. I had this like on my in my back hat, you know, like for my very much future, right? Mm. At some point, maybe being 50, whatever, I can do that, right? It came faster, like earlier to me. Um, but again, I was, I was just like asking my mentor, what should I do now? And he was saying like very smartly, and I want to always pass this on to others, just get clear first on the target audience you want to serve. Um, mm. You can do many qualifications. If you don't know the people you really want to work with and what's their kind of pain you can actually ease, you don't know yet which qualifications to take. And I think that's important. Just really try to come close to the target audience and the true niche you want to 
work with and create impact for. And then you can see which qualification serves this the best. Yeah. And now I forgot your question. <laughs> I forgot the last question you put. <laughs> <laughs> That's totally yeah. fine. Um, yeah, I just feel like we can let the conversation flow. And I love what you're sharing. I feel like it's so meaningful. And really, I get this question a lot. How do I know when I'm ready? How do I know if I'm ready? Mm. And you seem to have chosen your um audience but uh like let's say the group that you want to serve yeah. and those are entrepreneurs and um i feel like one in one way you've chosen entrepreneurs because you have been in that field you've uh, worked with them you've you've seen them um if you are one right so you you've experienced <laughs> um you're familiar and intimately connected uh, with their experience and I am curious, what are the struggles that you most see in entrepreneurs uh, today? Yeah. So the people I work with are former founders and entrepreneurs or also like managers that are really engaged in what they do and their teams. So it can be completely the setting up a company of an organization. Most of them are like um, very like driven, meaning engaged and innovative. So it's like this mindset of being super curious and by that super engaged and like having all these ideas and making them happen, right? And there's quite some things that what you see with this kind of like entrepreneurs or kind of like really engaged managers and teams, like first of them, um, first of all, many of them are super, super achieving, meaning like with like hyper achieving, right? Oh, and yeah. being achieving <laughs> is super, super cool and it's really needed. Um, but as you already see, like being an achiever, right? That's a quality, that's a strength to say, I have set myself a goal or we have set ourselves a goal and we want to go there. And once we have done that, hopefully you celebrate yourself for that and your team, right? So being achieving is really needed if you ask especially an entrepreneur or like a team that wants to strive being a hyper achiever that's mm -hmm. where the system is actually kind of like flipping right to so the negative and it's actually this quality of being achieving actually flips over into a hindering kind of like behavior into actually a self-sabotaging behavior so hyper achievement is very very present uh, with many of them as their idea kicks off um their intention kicks off it's just a consequence for many having this kind of mindset another very common kind of like um struggle or like um hindering for them is definitely a certain kind of like restlessness um again here in the beginning the quality is um to be curious right and by that to have ideas right that's mm. beautiful and very needed if you want to create something but if you have too many ideas if you have a cynical restless like curiosity then again the system mm. is flipping and this um, in beginning this quality strength actually is starting to become hindering self-sabotaging behavior. And there's many others also like um, being kind of like potentially hyper-rational instead of just rational, right? Overusing logic and by that, um, everything that leads to certain decision-making and by that losing kind of like empathy and intuition, which is so important in so many fields of our work. That's also like this hyper-rationality is just like a very big pattern. And then for many as well, um, people-pleasing, mm. like really like <laughs> showing too much empathy, showing too much love and care for others. Um, in the beginning, love and care, beautiful. If you get that, take it because it's really, really something that you have to have to nourish yourself. But yeah. if you as a person that gives it, can like give, give too much, right? This is again flipping from a quality of strength into like a self-sabotaging, hindering behavior. Mm. these are just some of them um and maybe one element to just put on top um many kind of like 
in this case, entrepreneurs or managers I work with, um, their temperament is actually being introverted, right? Having mm. this need for quiet or less stimulation for smaller settings or whatever there is, right? But um, as they're a former founder or as an early stage, like whatever team member, but manager, they oftentimes step into an extrovert's shoes, right? They are introverted or ambivert at the heart, but they move into an extrovert's shoes and by that, of course, overwhelm themselves, overstimulate themselves. And I work with them a lot and because this is a big pattern I see in the last couple of years and I want to intensify my work with these kind of like temperaments that are really challenged um, and face a very different day. Yeah. That is really beautiful. And I, I feel it's much needed. And I find a bit of myself in what you're sharing. When I did a saboteur test uh, 10 mm. years ago, I believe, um, I discovered what was there, which was a hyperachiever and uh, the people pleaser. And I've been mm. uh, training <laughs> myself from that ever since. And um, I know many people struggle with that. Uh, at least many, many people who reach out to me struggle with people-pleasing especially. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I feel like these saboteurs are also trying to protect us in a way. They're trying to do good. They're trying to um, make us, um, I don't know, get um, further in life or they're trying to increase our impact. But at the same time, mm-hmm. uh, they're taking something from us. So they cost us. How does one heal from especially people pleasing? <laughs> how do you how how do we get yeah <laughs> yeah? So the first part you just uh, just addressed is really important because we call it saboteurs, and maybe for the listeners, a saboteur is a mental behavior that is actually harming you because you're self sabotaging yourself, right? Uh, a saboteur can be a set the people pleaser in you, and the people pleaser in you can say. I'm your friend and you need me because otherwise no one will like you, Mm. right? Or I'm your friend and you need me because otherwise you will not be part of anyone or anything, right? Um, So it's very important to see that this people pleaser in you mostly starts because you want to be loved. You want to be part of something, right? Part of a team, part of a group, um, part of a family, whatever it is, right? And that's the starting point. Um, Being loved and being cared for or giving love and giving care, that's the quality. Right. But if we do that as we fear to not being liked and loved, as we fear to not being part of something, that's the wrong motivation. Right. So it's very important for the people pleaser in you to realize that sharing too much love and empathy is actually just harming yourself Mm. as you actually reduce your self care and self love. Right. Mm. So people please, of course, is in it, it actually extremes. It's kind of like, Behaviors are like flattering others, saying, hey, you look so great, da, 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 whatever. Or even uh, another extreme is rescuing someone, even though this person has never asked to be rescued, right? You just really do everything to potentially rescue the person. And I think what's important there if it comes to the healing question. Mm-hmm. Um, if we give too much uh, empathy and better love and care to others, right? We need to really set healthy boundaries again. We need to say more no and more yes to ourselves, which sounds so easy, but isn't at all, right? We need Mm -hmm. by that to reprioritize and to really Mm -hmm. like set more healthy limits. And it's a lot about self-care. So Mm -hmm. the more we want to step out of the people pleasing us, the more we have to step into self-care by self-empathy and self-love. Sounds very simple, right? It's really big. (laughs) And I can tell from my own experience, I was like, 
have this people pleaser. I had it in my DNA and I, I, I really loosened up a lot of it already. But one thing also to think about is many times this also comes from your education upbringing. Um, it can be option number one. It's really with you from the very start of your life. Um, as you're born, you have certain behavior patterns. These are really like some, some kind of markers with you. And by that, you might easily have stepped into that even more and more to just it grew. But it could also be that your upbringing through your parents or other like care, caregivers actually really like cause this like people please or whatever it is to to show more in, in you and like grow as you either mirror your parents or compensated them right let's say um your dad is a hyperachiever or had a hyperachiever in him or still has you might want to please your dad um, by doing certain things in order to live up to his expectation expected achievements right other scenario this would be the mirroring the other scenario is that um, you compensate your mother because this is like unfortunately mm. often the case. Your mother might feel like a victim, being you know poor and then pitying herself in many yeah. situations, and you start to people please her in order to make her feel happy, right? Mm. And this is actually compensating. So that's just some some elements to to drop into the basket of how to heal from people pleasing. That's Becoming so powerful. Aware. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Becoming aware, uh, it starts with that, right? With the awareness that maybe what we're trying to accomplish through people pleasing, um, so we, we get just the opposite of that, right? So we try to yeah. accomplish uh, getting the respect, the love, the validation from others. And we think the way to accomplish that is pleasing them or pleasing others in spite of our own integrity, of our own wishes, needs, values. But what it does, it's the exact opposite it does yeah. um it takes away the respect it takes away the the love or it doesn't give the space it's like in a relationship because i've been <laughs> working with myself a lot with this so i've learned that in a relationship if we give more than 50 percent and we don't allow the other person like in dancing to come and meet us halfway we're taking actually the opportunity for them to step in for us and to step in for our own needs, which can, of course, for them be a great opportunity and a great learning point. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I just feel fascinated how how I in in my life and how I see others in their lives. Uh, I've managed to accomplish just the complete opposite of what I wanted to mm -hmm. to accomplish by being a people pleaser, mm -hmm. right? And by having that courage and stepping back into what I actually wanted and into authenticity. I actually managed yeah. to accomplish what I wanted in the first place. Yeah. <laughs> and can you remember still, can you remember still how this made you feel back then as you didn't kind of like achieve what you actually wanted by people pleasing? How did this make you feel? Can you remember one situation or some situations? It made me um, frustrated. It made exactly. me uh, confused. Like, why is it not um so i'm giving 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 so much and i'm yeah. i'm doing everything and i still don't get the recognition mm -hmm. the value that, that i want why and like a confusion mm -hmm. like you help you expect something to lead to something but it does not yeah then i uh remember myself uh stepping back from that and looking at it like taking a very clear look at it mm -hmm. and say this is not working right mm -hmm. the way that i'm trying to accomplish this is not accomplishing this so i need to do yeah. something different but to do something different then so first is, is the awareness right first we become yeah. aware and i realize that this is not getting me what i want but then is the actual courage 
to do the opposite of what your instinct is. So if your instinct is to, to people please, right? Um, and in my case, it was to overwork, to work a lot mm -hmm. and, and to be there, to have many, many, many roles. If my instinct is that, I have to gather up the courage to do, do the opposite of my instinct. And what yeah. that looked like for me was to actually uh, not look at my phone uh, or WhatsApp mm -hmm. or email after eight o'clock in the evening because I was working late in the night mm -hmm. every single day, right? So I've made it a point to um, go to dancing class or to, to whatever mm -hmm. events. And I made, uh, I bought some sub subscriptions and I had to leave the office at six o'clock. There was no option yeah. because otherwise I would miss my, my class or whatever commitment. It wasn't easy. So when you go against your instinct, it feels like almost like your body is shaking you. There's yeah. this feeling of unsafety that comes there. Yeah. But the yeah. reward of that uh, long term is just amazing. How was yeah. your experience with yeah. that, Eva? What, what I really love right now is like you're giving me this kind of like clear picture of dancing, right? Like yeah. <laughs> staying in a kind of like healthy relationship meaning like staying with a healthy empathy like a level of portion of empathy it's like a dance right if i put too much like movement like dance into into this dance it's not going to work right and i think having this this idea this picture of being in a healthy relationship and by that being in healthy empathy it's a dance and we have to move um in a certain rhythm together um what i love at, at second is 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 your kind of like feeling of frustration and that's that's with me as was as well and is something still frustration is the first kind of like negative feeling that shows um you give as you say i gave and nothing really got um got in or got back as a response right you don't get any thank you at some point because people take for granted that you do it that you're always there and mm -hmm. present so there's no positive response no kind of like honoring no celebration of yours no kind of like gratefulness um for what you did and what yeah. you do right um, that actually um, leads a lot to resentfulness, almost like with myself. Sometimes you feel like, ah, oh, you know, can't you just give back? Like, what's up with you, right? And this resentfulness actually leads to judgment, judging others of not being present, aware, sensitive, right? And that's causing a big kind of chain of reaction, mm -hmm. right? That is kind of like mm -hmm. frustration into resentfulness, into judgment is causing a lot kind of bigger questions, right? Of how sure. to be together, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and if you look at the, now I'm, I'm thinking about the other side of the, if we switch the roles and we think about being on the other side of overgiving, how do we feel when someone gives uh, maybe in spite of themselves or maybe does a sacrifice? Mm -hmm. And I remember mm -hmm. here my mom who would always overgive and give and give and give. I don't, I don't remember myself receiving that with an open heart because she was not giving mm -hmm. with an open heart she was giving out of some sense of obligation or some sense of mm -hmm. duty that she felt she had so sometimes mm -hmm. mm, maybe we can heal a bit our people pleasing by imagining the other side of overgiving where it can feel a bit invasive it can feel a bit like it's it's too much that i'm get what i'm getting right now maybe i'd like to to not be given as much maybe i'd like to um not be so helped in a situation but figure my own way out right maybe i'd like to have my own journey instead of having someone there um maybe mothering me or even even smothering with a very helpful energy which for the helper feels amazing but it's not always needed and 
there needs to be this humbleness and this concept of um what i love in, in therapy is this concept of free will of free will mm-hmm. um and agency right so we can yeah. step in and help others especially as coaches therapists but not going against the other's agency and their own personal power and uh, i feel like it's so so empowering and, and powerful to help others but help them help themselves right help them mm-hmm. exactly. find their own and see their own resources and not overstep not overstep yeah, yeah. um yeah. i'm really happy we can connect together on this <laughs> thank you yeah you just framed before it rescuing part sometimes we want to rescue others and that feels as you, as you say that that feels invasive right yeah i don't want to be yeah. rescued and you know i have life you know under control if you want to say so right um so i think it's always very very healthy to and that's the first step you have to learn how people pleasing shows in your body and in your mind that's the first step mm. to to really like figure that out um how do I respond um, if I feel somebody is in need for something and I could support, right? What kind of like thought or belief comes there? Kind of like feeling in my body just appears. And that's actually our like anchor, our anchor moments to say, oh, hello, no, no, don't go there, right? <laughs> Let's just really like <laughs> label that, by that acknowledge it and intercept here and shift. Right? Yeah. It's true, it's true. Is that an example of mental fitness, what you just showed right now? <laughs> yes, it is. It is uh, becoming aware of your negative beliefs, your thoughts, uh, even your body reactions. Mm-hmm. Um, and by that, this awareness, you can really say, hey, I can label in the next situation, I can label my people pleasing in this moment, mm-hmm. not by judging it, but just be really like present and aware and having this kind of like discernment. I'm, I'm people pleasing here right now. And then intercepting um, in this very moment also by shifting into some exercises and even more. Yeah, so it's it's an example definitely. Mm-hmm. How is mental fitness different from other concepts? I'm I'm really intrigued by this idea of uh, of mental fitness, and I feel like going straight away to mindfulness or meditation. But um, yeah, yeah, I don't want to make any assumptions. So yeah, I, and and you. You can, it's totally fine because let's say uh, first staying physically fit is something I think we have understood right now, even though we're not doing it always, I mean, it's totally human as well. We have understood it's really important to stay physically fit if we want to be a well performer at work, if we want to be really well overall in our health, right, with our health. But staying mentally fit is, I think, still something quite new to people. It's coming from the field of positive psychology, which just means that um, every problem, every challenge can be turned into an opportunity and gift, right? Mm. Um, as said before, it's just this kind of like mindset, this kind of like perception um, about harder times, tough times. It just, it just means like we don't have to always do heavy lifting, right? It can also like shift easily into some some more curiosity and but that was like somewhere ease but if it comes to um, mental fitness per se what is it actually it's this kind of positive thinking right it's this this idea of not staying in the negative belief in the, in the negative thoughts about the, in the negative feelings but realizing that as as early as you can and intercept that and then shift right um and i think it's so important because um just the research shows like that um in 
five, like actually four out of five, like crises might be a tough conversation, might be a conflict at work, might be anything else. Mm-hmm. We actually tend to respond negatively. Like in four out of five crises, we respond negatively. Um, that's really a lot. And, and you could say, Hey, that's not with me, right? Uh, I hope so, but it could be because that's kind of like the average. And also like one of the really impressive research numbers is this kind of three to one ratio to say, um, for every negative thought that you have, like thinking like, I'm not good enough for this job or I'm not, uh, like really good in this relationship, right? Mm-hmm. I don't show up in this relationship, something like that. You have to have three positive thoughts, like just to balance out with one negative thought, you have to have three, right? And I'd say that's uh, quite some work if you don't have any tools at hand that help you to, to go there. To, to make this heavy lifting a bit less, less heavy, right? And by that shift into the positive thinking earlier um, as, as usual. So it can be yeah. trained. It's not like I am it a negative person or I, I have this belief and it's set in stone. We, yeah. we can train that. Um, yeah. And you wanted to know the distinction between mental fitness and meditation or mindfulness. Mm-hmm. I'd say it's beautiful. Um, on top or add on um it's not replacing um it's it's adding um to this kind of like self-development or inner work right um meditation and mindfulness we know at many times we want to retreat for that we want to have a quiet kind of like emotional safe space around us right we're not usually doing that uh, in public or in public transport whatever that's not our space to meditate and do mindfulness work mostly right um with mental fitness, um, these kind of like methodology, um, these kind of like practice is really created and dedicated towards doing that in the midst of tension, anger, fear, stress, mm. doubt, insecurity, right? Any kind of this kind of like um, tension and negative emotions or feelings. That's exactly where you apply that, right? You're not doing that in quiet, kind of like retreating, you're doing it in the midst of the storm. Right. In order to, as said, not go down a negative spiral, a negative like um, belief, um, but to acknowledge that, label it, intercept it and shift. Right. And by that, um, mental fitness and meditation and mindfulness work pretty much go together um, and they can really like um, enrich each other very much. I love I love it. Uh, I love what you're saying right now. And I would be curious for a short practice if you sure. uh, if you'd like to guide us. <laughs> Yeah, usually I'd say uh, close your eyes, <laughs> and I also like invite you to close your eyes, and I will do uh, also like the same. I will close my eyes too. Mm-hmm. Um, usually I also like say shut up your like shut down the camera if you wish so. So please just close your eyes, and also please just try to sit comfortably. Just really come to the, the front edge of your seat. Um, put down your actually legs, your feet on the floor to feel grounded, and straighten up your back. Pull your head up, you know, the game, and easily pull your chin to your chest. And please just put down your hands on your lap and put your, your, your palms towards the ceiling to open up your chest and by that breathe with more ease. And that was just a warm-up, just to be present in your position, your body posture. And now I want you to imagine a recent situation where you actually started to people please. A recent situation where you actually step too much into empathy, step too much into giving, step too much into love because you want to be loved, you want to be part of something. So please just recall one situation where you actually started to people please. Think about where was this? 
Think about who was with you. Think about what was your role, your responsibility in this very moment. And now I want you to sense and feel into this situation, how it makes you think, maybe some thoughts, some beliefs show up, or how it makes you feel, any tension in your body. Maybe you can feel it right now, next to the thoughts, the beliefs to show. Maybe you feel something in your body. Maybe something feels hard and tense. And if you locate it, just put your hand there. Put your flat hand on the body part that shows some reaction to manifest this body part. And now I want you to put your hands down again and put two fingertips on each other and start rubbing these fingertips very gently. Put two fingertips on each other and start rubbing the fingertips very gently. And sense into this sensation, feel into everything that you experience here with big curiosity. And if your mind starts to wonder, that's totally normal, it's not a mistake, but bring it back into this sensation. And now open up your other hand like a flat piece of paper and put your fingertips on the open palm and start rubbing your fingertips on the open palm. And if your mind starts to wander, don't worry, that's totally human, it's not a fault. But bring it back into this bigger, more intense sensation. And now put your hands down on your lap again. Put your right hand on your belly. And breathe into your belly. And see how your hand is rising and falling. Depending on the inhale or exhale. Before we open your eyes. And we all open our eyes. Just feel into your body. And feel how it actually shows right now. If after this exercise, you were able to let go of some belief, some thought, some tension in your body. If something feels more at ease. And once you're ready, gently open your eyes and come back to us. These exercises are speaking to our senses. Um, as we did it here, we just recalled a recent situation where we people pleased. Mm -hmm. And we want to intensify the situation, of course, by going back to it. And then the situation could be also like a life situation, right? As we speak, it could happen to us right away. And then we put two fingertips on each other. We wrap these fingertips very gently that we feel the fingertip ridges or everything we feel like there. And the sense of touch is the strongest sense to use to become present. I love this. This is really ancient wisdom. The sense of touch is the one thing, the one tool next to breath, I'd say. You can use at any time. You can use easily. 
and so, so impactfully. So the sense of touch is bringing you into the presence, right? But rubbing these fingertips, right? You can like try to intercept and kind of like disconnect and shift, start the shifting. And then of course, <laughs> opening up the other hand um, and really putting your, your fingertips on the surface is actually just increasing the sensation, right? It's making you even more present. It's helping mm. you to even intercept more stronger and shifting with more ease. Right. And um, that like section just has to last for eight, eight, eight seconds. Nothing, nothing longer. Eight seconds, 30 seconds, anything like, like that. Super good. Super great. Helps your brain to kind of like intercept and shift already. It was such a great practice that I feel uh, much calmer. And I realized yeah. I had a small um, internal, a very quick, but powerful internal shift. And mm-hmm. uh, while I was reflecting on that situation, Part of me was asking, why did I feel powerless in that moment? What made mm-hmm. me feel like I didn't have any agency in that moment? And mm-hmm. at the end of the practice, I came to this um, awareness that next time when I find myself feeling like that, like powerless and without agency, like, okay, now I have to just submit to this person's um, stronger will or I just have to be agreeable in this moment even though I don't feel like Mm -hmm. it I can just rise up to my power and um, say something or say what I want and need without feeling that um, I have to I have to please uh, another so it's interesting like mm, we didn't do a therapy session we didn't discuss my my situation itself but just being back into the body and reflecting to that situation, mm. back to that situation, actually led me to the response that I needed, right? Yeah. I, I love yeah. it. Thank you so much. <laughs> and just one point here, Emma, like as you as you did it right now, like as you said, um, I can then voice myself and I can actually by that set healthier limits. That's a very big move already, right? And some of us, um, even I sometimes, I'm not able to do that in this very moment. And doing this kind of like, this kind of like, um, mindfulness in your case, other kind of like practices, but with me, it's like this mental, mental exercises. It just gives us the kind of like break and the space that we have to shift into a clearer head, shift into the self empathy, and by that shift into the space to make a smarter next move, right? With you, you have beautiful practice. You can say like, Hey, my next step is. I just don't have that yet, that skill set, right? We have to create the space mm. before. And then with this clarity, with this focus that we have, with this empathy that we feel for ourselves, then we can make the smart, wise next step happen. Yeah. I love it. I love it. And uh, thank you. Wow. Eva, so we're getting close to the end of our conversation already. And you shared a lot and very vulnerably about uh, your time when you were struggling you shared about how you got out of that and how you started to help others uh, and are still helping others and I feel like closing the circle now and to close the circle to those of us listening who are going through some struggles right now be it um, anorexia or depression or some personal crisis that maybe we didn't mention here today what would be your message for them? Mm. If I would tell my own um, teenage, you know, Eva, I would say, voice yourself. And by that, ask for support, right? But do that to the people you feel cared, um, like after, like taken care of. 
So go to the person that you feel safe already with. Um, could be your best friend, could be an elderly friend, could be your grandmother. Right? Grandmothers are so important in our lives um, because they're a generation at this bit, of course. Yeah, a bit more disconnect maybe from us and by that even even more, more wise. Um, so yeah, voice yourself <laughs> to someone you trust and by that do the first step to get support. It will help you so much. That is beautiful. Thank you so much. And thank you for today's conversation. And uh, actually, one more question. Where can people find you? <laughs> I'm online. Yes, I have a web page. Yes, it should be retexted. <laughs> so maybe go for my LinkedIn first. I'm pretty much present at LinkedIn if you're there too. I have an Instagram, but honestly, I'm not really like a social media person. So I rather copy paste. But LinkedIn, Instagram, send me an email to hi at apogoogle.org. Um, I'm sure this is in the show notes. Um, but I'm sure you can reach out at, at, at any time. Mm, that feels good for you. I'll put all these links and uh, your email address in the description here below this video. And uh, thank you so much, Eva. Thank you, everyone, for listening. I'll uh, see you next time. And until then, take very good care of yourself and uh, stay in love.